the elders prayed over coming to the end of the year. What do we want to set the tone for? What direction do we want to kind of put our emphasis and our focus as we begin this new year? So three topics that we're going to, going to discuss, all surrounding the idea of being generous, okay? As my wife expressed, the word generous can also be communicated um, sacrifice, Although I think generous is more um, palatable because people think, oh, you got to sacrifice. It's like, eh, I don't really like that word. It doesn't feel very comfortable. Generous, I'm a little bit more okay with. So we want generous. But when you hear me say generous, you can also hear me say sacrifice because essentially that's the essence of what we're trying to talk about here. Uh, generous with our time that we invest in people. That's one way that we see generous action. Um, Generous with our patience in understanding people, particularly difficult people, right? It it takes a generous amount of patience to walk out life with some people. Generous with our love, with our resources, with our gifts, uh, spiritual gifts, with our giving. Every aspect of really the Christian faith can be marked by this generous sort of posture before God. Now, I hesitated to share this part um, because it might give you the wrong idea of what we're trying to do here, but I think it's important when we talk about the kind of generosity that we're discussing here. So I'm not talking about giving out of your abundance, right? So when we see in the Bible Jesus oftentimes giving, it's always according to his riches. That's kind of the verbiage and, and illustration that's used. Um, so, for example, uh, if you're, maybe you're a student on, on break from school right now, or maybe you're retired and you have an abundance of time on your hands just by virtue of your life stage, uh, if you give, say, three or four hours of that time over the course of a month, um, probably not a sacrifice uh, in terms of what you could give potentially based on what you have to give. Um, maybe you've worked hard and maybe you've inherited millions, I don't know. Somehow you're wealthy um, and you pull out a nice crisp $100 bill out of your wallet, right? You throw it in the offering. $100, while a lot to many people, probably not a lot to you. Probably not super sacrificial to just throw a $100 bill in, in the offering. Is it appreciated? Absolutely. Is it needed? Sure. All of it. The service, the sacrifice, the, the giving, all of it. But when we see the Lord giving, again, it's, it's out of or according to His abundance. Not, not a little bit off the top. So that's where the sacrificial side of abundance or um, generosity comes in. And I wanted to give a, an illustration to include some of our um, treehousers. Treehousers, what's your favorite candy? Kit Kats. Kit Kats. What else? What's your favorite candy? You don't like candy? You don't know. Okay, sorry to put you on the spot. Yes, sir. What is it? Reese's. I'm digging that. Hershey's. Nice. Solid choices across the board. Okay, you're not a treehouser. I don't care. <laughs> So let's just say you have a hundred boxes of your Hershey's, Reese's, Kit Kats, and to be determined. 
you got 100 boxes, right? So you kindly pull one package out of one box and give it to your neighbor. Like, oh, I'm a nice person. I gave away part of my candy, right? You don't really care about that one little package. You've got 100 boxes full, right? So what's the point of giving just one little package away? No big deal. Didn't cost you really much of anything. However, if you gave out of what you had, say, for example, you took 50 boxes of your 100, which, by the way, is still too much, and you donated it to the local children's hospital so that many people could benefit, now we're talking about being generous, giving out of what you have rather than just a little bit off the top. Does that make sense? So I, I say all that to kind of set up what we're talking about here. This, is, this goes beyond just being a nice person or... Um, feeling an obligation to serve or to give or to pray in a certain way. So that's, that's, that's what we're getting at at all this. So, um, again, not, there's, there's no um, ulterior motive here. There's no guilt tripping here like, hey, if you're not doing this, then, you know, you're, you're absolutely in the doghouse. That's not what we're talking about here. No manipulation factor. What we're doing is we're aiming, really simply as the elders, to highlight some key areas that we think are... Um, Critical for us to have generous hearts and attitudes toward what we're doing. And the first one is prayer. Now, when you first think about prayer, perhaps generous is not a word that comes to mind. Like, how am I going to be generous in my prayer? Well, I'm glad you asked. What does it take? What does it look like for us to have a fruitful prayer life? Well, number one is time, right? There's an aspect of time that is required. Uh, what else do we need? Focus. That's hard for people. Active listening. Even harder for, for some guys in the room, perhaps. Um, confessing sin. Forgiving other people. Following the Lord's will instead of our own. Like these are significant areas that require things of us. Um, so, it requires generosity is what I'm getting at. My intention really is to highlight these things that we need to be generous in by looking at three areas this morning. We're going to look at the purpose of prayer. We're going to look at the power of prayer. And we're going to look at the practice of prayer. So we're going very Baptistic today. Three points. Alliteration is happening. Uh, the purpose, the power, and the practice of prayer. Um, so I'm going to pray, actually, because that's a lot to cover in one sermon. So need to pray for me, need to pray for you, and so let's do that right now. Father, we come to you right now again. Lord, we know we are to pray. We know that this is something that you've called us to do, and we, we, want, to, we want to grow in the way in which we pray. We want to be sensitive to perhaps things about our prayer life that are not in line with your design for prayer, that are, are lacking, perhaps, maybe some areas where we're confident that we can continue to encourage one another through our consistency in our prayer life. But we also know that it's hard. It is challenging, Lord, to, to come to you in prayer. And so right now, in this moment, we ask that you would remove distractions. Lord, you'd help us to put our focus on your word, focus on your principles, focus on all that is being said this morning, that we might grow in our ability to pray more effectively today and every day moving forward. 
So we ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there will shortly be a number on the screen that you can text questions into. There it is. Uh, toward the end of the service, we'll come back up here and do some Q&A if any questions come in. It's just a neat way for you guys to interact with us. Okay, so the purpose of prayer. Let me just walk through this first thing that we're doing. I really had to think about, like, where do we want to focus on prayer? That's a broad topic. I think we could go like a million different directions in prayer, right? And probably I'm going to say some things and you're like, why didn't you say this instead of that? So let's just focus and trust, I'm trusting at least, that the Lord has given me some specific things for us, for everybody that's here today about prayer that may impact and shape what we're doing in our prayer lives. So one purpose of prayer is that it deepens our dependence on God. Prayer can deepen our appendance, dependence, I should say, on God. So if you study the, the prayers of Paul in the New Testament, right, all these letters that he's written, there's, there's prayers in all of them, but there's just kind of this recurring theme of Paul's reliance on God for everything. And we'll look at some of those prayers as you go, but you can just see how Paul is not going to do anything without coming to the Lord in prayer. He prays for all of the people that he's been interacting with regularly. He prays for God to open doors for the gospel, prays for his words to go out with boldness. Like It's constantly about reliance upon God. Look at the prayer we just read together. Look at uh, Colossians 1. We read that together not too long ago. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. So let me just ask a question real quick. Uh, apart from God's work in your life, can you live a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him? Can you bear fruit in every good work on your own, apart from God? Or do you need his help? Okay, there's, there's some hesitations there, so I'll fill in the blanks for you. You need God's help, right? You can't do this on your own. Let's go one more. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. How many of you endure patiently with joy as your kids are screaming in the back seat for the 10th time? Mm-hmm can't do it on your own. And let's be honest, most of the time we, we struggle to do it with God's help, <laughs> right? Amen. Absolutely. But we see in these prayers how much we really do need Him. If this is the standard, like we're supposed to do these things, my goodness, we are desperate people, or at least we need to be. So when we come before God, as Paul did, both for himself and for other people, we begin to realize just how much help we need. And we need to, yeah, include that in our prayers as we are growing in our understanding of how, how desperate we need him. Our eyes actually begin to open up and see reliance. Reliance is an important word. Where we can say with confidence, praise God from whom all blessings flow. 
everything. He is our source. And so our prayers need to reflect that idea. Make sense? Okay. I'd encourage you to go back and read some of the, the prayers of Paul. A little, little plug for our Wednesday night life group. That's what we're going to be doing in our um, Wednesday night Bible study. It's going to be the prayers of Paul. All right, I'm going to turn a corner here. Does God know what we ask before we ask it? Are you sure? Does the Bible tell us that? Where? All over. All over. Okay. <clears throat> sure. Yeah, it's in the Bible. I'm certain of it. Matthew 6, 8. Matthew 6, 8 tells us that the Lord knows what we ask before we ask it. And so if that's the case, what's the natural question? Why do I need to ask? If he knows already what I'm going to ask, then like, why even bother asking? doesn't make any sense. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, right? Knows the beginning from the end. Omniscient is the fancy word if you want to use that. Exists outside of time. So if that's the case, why? Why do I even need to, to ask? Because, man... He doesn't need my help, my finite mind, my limited ability and scope on the world. He doesn't need my help, right? I mean, the answer is no, he doesn't need our help. Clearly, God doesn't need our help. However, he does invite us in to be a part of the process. It really does. Now, I think there's probably some, uh, some natural tension here in this idea because we struggle to rationalize or balance this idea that God is all-powerful, knows the beginning from the end, sovereign in control of all things, and yet He uses us in effective ways. Hmm. And we are responsible moral agents, the Bible calls us, that we make decisions that impact life. It changes things, the decisions that we make. In other words, somehow, and you're not going to know the the full depths of that somehow, somehow we play a role in accomplishing God's will. That's what the Bible teaches us. So how does that make sense? It just, I don't get it. One of the clearest explanations, I guess, of this that I've seen is in a quote by C.S. Lewis. So let's read this. It's a little bit long, but that's okay. Can we believe that God really modifies his action in response to the suggestions of men? For infinite wisdom does not need telling what is best, and infinite goodness needs no urging to do it. But neither does God need any of those things that are done by finite agents, whether living or inanimate. He could, if he chose, repair our bodies miraculously without food, or give us food without the aid of farmers, bakers, and butchers, or knowledge without the aid of the learned men, or convert the heathen without missionaries. Instead, he allows soils and weather and animals and the muscles, minds, and wills of men to cooperate in the execution of his will. God, said Pascal, instituted prayer in order to lend to his creatures the dignity of causality. But not only prayer, whenever we act at all, 
he lends us that dignity. It is not really stranger nor less strange that my prayer should affect the course of events that, than that my other actions should do so. They have not advised or changed God's mind, that is, his overall purpose, but that purpose will be realized in different ways according to the actions, including prayers, of his creatures. So another purpose of prayer is for us to be participants in God's accomplishment of his will. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever thought about prayer like that before, but that's a game changer. Think about the prayers that you've prayed over the years. How many of them have had that theme of cooperation in accomplishing God's will running throughout them? Like, I've known this. I've read the scriptures that support this, and it's here. But in order to get it from here into here and this cooperation thing, it's really challenging to to grab a hold of that idea. But like I said, it will change the way that you pray forever. I mean, this is God inviting you and me into this opportunity to accomplish His will alongside of Him. What a privilege! I mean, goodness, that's amazing. And, and so again, there's that tension that I'm talking about. It's like God is in control of all things, and yet somehow what I do and what comes out of my mouth affects change? Like that... There's a natural tension there. You don't need to understand it, how it works. Like, right? I don't need to know how my wristwatch works. I just need to tell me the time. So, man. Where do we see this in the Bible then? James 4.2. Do we have that one? You desire, or you desire, and you do not have. So you murder, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. But here's the, the, the point I wanted to make. You do not have because you do not ask. So leave that up for a second. Does does he imply here that, look, you know what? I'm going to give it to you, whatever it is, whether you asked or not, because I've got this plan for you and you need to have this, so I don't care if you ask for it or not, I'm giving it to you. I'm shoving it down your throat. Is that what the implication is there? The implication is, You don't have it because you didn't ask for it. I didn't force it down your throat. Like, you need to open your mouth and ask for this. And if you do, I'm going to give it to you. What the it is is not the the point at this juncture, but it is a biblical principle to know that what we ask for puts into effect something that God does or doesn't do. We affect change through our prayer. Now, does God have a plan? Absolutely, 100%. But prayer changes things, right? Remember what Lewis said, that plan that he has will be realized in different ways according to the prayers of his people. And I think people get caught up in this idea of sovereignty and control. God is sovereign over all things, but that does not mean he has to have his hands in every decision that every human being that lives on this planet has to make in order to accomplish his will. That's the beauty of his sovereignty. He operates outside of that in cooperation with his people. That doesn't mean he's not sovereign and in control, because he is. So this biblical principle 
is something we need to understand in order to pray the way that God intended. I mean, we could look, and I encourage you to look at Genesis 18. There's this story of Abraham and God, and God pleading, uh, almost negotiating, Abraham negotiating with God in this, in this story. But I want to look at um, God and Moses in Exodus 14. What's that? Oh, okay, good. Well, now hopefully I'll answer it. So Israel, in this Exodus 14 chapter, is rebelling against God, again, complaining that they were rescued out of Egypt. They're about to enter the promised land, and all they can do is complain about everything. You think God is pleased with them at this point? No, it's been like just consistent complaining, rebelling, idol worship. It's just, oh, we're sorry, God. And then we're back up here. Oh, we're, we're sorry. It's just like this back and forth. And God's just like, seemingly like, what now? In fact, here's what he says in Numbers 14, verse 11 and 12. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. That's God talking about Israel, his chosen people. I'm done. Disinherit them, cutting off, no more. That's what he said, right? Is that what God said? Is this just like a parable, like, somebody else telling a story. This is God's words to Moses about his people. That's pretty pretty bleak, right? It's like, man, I can't believe God said that. So now, to build the idea that what we pray and communicate with God has effect, let's see what Moses says in, starting in verse 13. But Moses said to God, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of his people, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame, will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abound in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. But he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity on the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquities of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And God's response to Moses' interaction, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. So we're not going to get into this big theological debate of like, did God change his mind? All right, that's not the point here. I told you before, God is sovereign over all things and his will will be accomplished. 
But in this case, we see very clearly that Moses, a human being, was able to, it seems, influence the outcome of God accomplishing his will. I'll just let that marinate a little bit. There are other examples in the scriptures as well. Several, in fact, that are, that are equally as compelling. But the point I'm making is God chooses to include us in His work. And so our prayers will always support what He is doing. You know, we're not going to pray and somehow alter His will. In other words, we're not going to change God's overall purpose. However, we, not, we do play a significant role in God doing His work in His creation. So here's what we've got to be careful of, right? Let's not confuse our will with God's will and get upset when He doesn't answer the prayers in the way that we are like, oh, hey, what, Lord, we're supposed to be a part of this process, so why aren't you doing what I said? Like, that's, <laughs> that's the wrong side of this equation. We can't go there. You shouldn't. And here's the caveat, I guess, if there's one to throw in here. 1 John 5.14. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So that's, that's the game changer right there. That's sort of the, the parameters that we're operating under. It's not just whatever we want. Like, we know that God's not a genie. We just come to Him and ask Him for whatever we want. He hears us if we ask according to His will. That's an important aspect of what we're talking about here. And I think it clarifies how we can read that story in Exodus and still kind of make that all make sense. So, our prayers should be impacted by this. I say all this because we need to have a sense that our prayers are powerful and effective. But I also don't want you to think like, oh man, everything's like up to me. Everything's hanging in the balance now. What if I don't pray this and this doesn't happen? Like that, that, that aspect of prayer shouldn't be there. We're in a confidence that God is going to accomplish his will and he's going to use us and others to do that. We're not going to mess anything up. But I want to bring in the second topic this morning, and that is the power of prayer. I think at this point, having just looked at that Exodus story, we can see that our prayers are powerful. But what does James 5.16 say? The prayer of a righteous person has great power at his, as working. Praise God for that. What's the source of our power in prayer? Is it something that we manifest, like if we just concentrate hard enough that we can pour out this power? In our prayer? Are we the source of our power in prayer? No. Who is the source? God is the source of the power, right? It's important to realize that the reason God hears our prayers in the first place is based on our relationship with Him. Our relationship to the Father the basis of our prayer is actually found in the opening words of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9, 
the Lord's Prayer, probably the most repeated words in the world, the first two words of that are what? Our Father. Our Father. Prayer is based on relationship. So what is the basis of your relationship with God? I mean, it can't just be some dude off the street who knows about Jesus and to come and pray and access that kind of thing. We have to be His sons and daughters. That's the access point. So the question you have to ask, is He your Father? Look at John 1, 12. You don't have that one? thought it was up there. It's my fault. John 1.12, maybe. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God or sons and daughters of God. So we, we kind of back out of this whole prayer thing for just a minute. Oh, look at that. You're awesome. Received him, believed in his name. That whole idea is the gospel walked out, right? Recognizing our need for a Savior, understanding what Christ did on the cross, putting our faith in him, becoming adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High. Like that, that process needs to take place in order to be in the category of His family, His sons and daughters. And when we are in that category, we've received Him, believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And in that right, we now have access to the power of God through our prayers. It's all working together. We have this power. All right, so all of this is going to put us into the practice of prayer. Right? We understand that prayer increases our understanding of our reliance on God. We know that prayer is powerful and effective and God is cooperating with us in this process. But let's look briefly at the practice of prayer. The first thing I want to acknowledge is that prayer is hard. It's difficult. We just need to get that out there. It's because I know a lot of people beat themselves up a, a long time. Like, why am I so bad at this? Why can't I pray the way that I know I'm supposed to? Has anybody ever asked themselves that question? Yeah, uh, Goodness. One of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, he says this, as the, as the why prayer is so challenging. It's the front line of spiritual warfare. And the evil one is aware of the fact that God has decide, decided that prayer is a means of fulfilling some of his purposes. So one of the reasons why prayer is so challenging is because there is a spiritual component that we need to understand and recognize. I'd even call it spiritual battle or warfare. 
Now, some of us kind of just turn off at that moment like, yeah, I don't want to hear anything about that. Don't want to have anything to do with that. That's scary stuff. And it is. It is scary stuff. But I guarantee you, it's very real stuff. It's very real stuff. So here's the deal. If the enemy can distract us from participating in accomplishing the will of God, then he's going to go after us hard in that area. So I strongly believe that one of the reasons why Christians across the globe and across history have struggled so much in prayer is because the enemy is, that's, that's his point of entry into distracting us from doing what God has called us to do. I really, really strongly believe that. He uses other means of distracting us, depending on the time frame that you live in this world. For us today, one of the tools that the enemy uses to distract us from the things of God, particularly prayer, is what? Technology. Now, I'm not anti-technology, right? I use a computer to write this. I'm on Facebook, right? Instagram, MySpace. <clears throat> Band, right? This is not an anti-technology thing. However, man, I'm convinced right now in this society that is the enemy's number one tool to distract and pull us away from the things that he's calling us to do. I'm going to share a little clip that I listened to this week um, by another pastor that I really like to listen to, Matt Chandler, um, talking about that specifically. And it's, man, it's frightening to hear him talk about that whole idea. I think he called it, it's not attention economics, but it's something in those, something, an idea of that your attention and what drives you is for sale. It's a commodity. And the people who develop apps and games and those kind of stuff know what they need to do to draw your attention into doing this thing, right? And it's not really the point of any of this. Well, it is, but I'm telling you, the enemy is at work on the front lines in your prayer life. So that's why it's so difficult. How many of you are familiar with Ephesians 6 and the armor of God, right? We've got this belt, this, this helmet, this shield, the sword, the shoes. We got all of those things, all of this armor that we're supposed to put on for battle. But does it tell us in Ephesians 6 what the battle is? Does it tell us what the primary use for this stuff is? After he lists all of the armor of God, he tells us in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keeping alert in perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Three times in one verse, he tells us, the reason you have all this stuff on, this armor, this protection, is so that you can go to battle in prayer. That's what the armor of God is for to be in battle, in prayer. Man, prayer is a battleground. But when we pray, things happen that our enemy, the devil, doesn't like. And so that's why it's difficult to have us the kind of prayer life that we want to have. Have you ever been praying, and all of a sudden, you just are shocked back into the reality that you were 
supposed to be praying? You're like, whoa, like, where am I? What just happened? And you look at your watch, it's like 10 minutes later, like, why does that happen? Why do we get so easily distracted? Why is it so hard to start praying, to keep praying, to be consistent in praying? It's like, it makes you just want to quit and not do it anymore, right? Which a lot of people do. Well, I guess I can't do this, or I guess God doesn't hear my prayer, so I'm just going to stop because I can't seem to get it together. You're not alone, my friends. You're not. It's difficult. But admitting there's a real issue is an important step in overcoming it, right? Because we can experience victory in this area, and we can have fruitful prayer lives. It does take a generous amount of time, a generous amount of patience, focus, commitment, sacrifice. That's where the generous piece comes in. Are you willing to generously give what it takes to have the kind of prayer life that God intends for you to have? That's a question you need to ask and answer. So in in light of all of this, like where am I going with this whole thing? The question you should be asking at this point is like, okay, so, so how do I pray then? If I know all of this stuff, if I know that and my prayers are powerful and effective and that I'm cooperating with God in accomplishing His will and that I'm supposed to know how much I need God and that there's this huge battle going on. Like, all of this stuff can seem overwhelming to the point you're like, well, what do I even do? Like, how do I start? Well, number one is, it should be like near the bottom, Phil. Come to God on the basis of your relationship with Him. You're a son you're a daughter. Think about a king over a kingdom. Who's the only one that can wake the king in the middle of the night for a glass of water and him not go crazy? His son or daughter, right? That's the kind of access we have to the Father. He desires us to come. And it doesn't matter how you come, just that you come. So come on the basis of your relationship. You are a son and you are a daughter of God. Not only God, but the creator of the universe, right? Number two, come with the understanding that we rely on Him for all things. Our prayers should have a reflection of this kind of reliance. God, I need you. I need you in this situation. I need you in my inability to control my mouth. I need, I need you in helping me to spend my money more effectively. I, I need you for everything. I need you to provide because I don't know where this is going to come from. That kind of desperation for what we know God will provide. He will meet every need. He promises that. Number three. Come knowing that our prayers are powerful and effective as we pray in accordance with the will of God. We got to know that. If we don't know that, our prayers will look a lot different than God would have them to look. What's, what's a surefire way 
and this is probably a question you're asking, what's a surefire way to know that you are praying the will of God? Anybody got to answer that question? Like, I want to pray in the will of God, but I'm not really sure. What is a guarantee that you are praying the will of God? Praying this. Literally praying this. This is the will of God. You pray this, you're praying the will of God. It's a great place to start. It could be a great place to stay for the rest of your life if you just pray out of this, this book right here. There's a great book by Donald Whitney. It's called Praying the Bible. That's exactly what it is. It's literally opening up to anywhere in the Bible, but particularly in the Psalms, it's helpful. Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? You stop there. What comes to your mind? We're not supposed to boast? There's no right answer to this, by the way. This is just a guide. Because sometimes you're like, I don't know what to pray. Read, reflect, pray back to God, whatever you just read. All right, you're done? Read, pause, reflect, pray back to God what you just read. You're literally praying the Bible back to God. So that's one way to guarantee that you're praying in the will of God. So I'm going to close with this. Something that most of us are familiar with, or at least we've heard in our lifetime. Matthew 6, 9-13. And I want to include you in this process. Because what's the only way that you get better at praying? Praying. Doing it. Right? So I'm gonna, on the front end of this, I'm going to encourage you that there's a, there's a call to action. You know, most of you, that we're in the 20 days of prayer of 2020. So the first 20 days of 2020, we're praying over a specific item, and then we're going to gather on the 20th for corporate prayer all together. But included in this is the idea that we're doing it together day to day. And so I, I want to encourage you to set a goal to pray, whatever that is. Like, if, you are, if you're not praying at all right now, don't, like, set a goal of praying an hour every day, right? That's like going to the gym and working out for five hours and then expecting to be able to go back the next day, right? You want to be able to get out of bed. So whatever a reasonable goal is, maybe it's three times this week for 10 minutes. If it's more than what you're doing now, it's a step in the right direction, and I think that's the hardest part for some of us. It's like, well, I'm just not doing it good enough, so I'm just not going to do it at all. Set a reasonable goal. That could be it. Three times this week for 10 minutes. Another thing that was helpful, do it first thing in the morning. And I know that people value their sleep. I get it. But are you going to be generous in the time that you sacrifice to pray this way? And just for the, for the record, if you hit the snooze button twice, studies show that you're not actually sleeping, you're wasting time. Because even though you feel like you fell back asleep, you didn't. All right? So you literally just wasted 14 minutes or 18 minutes or whatever it is. 18 minutes, right? Nine minutes. <clears throat> you could have just prayed for 19 minutes. All right? So I'm just telling you, you hit that snooze button, you're wasting time for what it's worth. All right, here we go. 
Here's what we're looking at. And this is an example of what I just talked about with praying the Bible back to God. So I don't know what to pray. Whatever comes to your mind in this. So we're going to start with the first two words. Our Father. I'm just going to leave a little bit of space right, for you to reflect on that. I'll give you a couple of ideas. Um, we're just going to pray through these couple of verses quickly uh, to just model what it looks like. But you don't have to say it out loud, but just in, in your mind as we're praying, this is what it looks like. So uh, just go ahead and, and pray with me. And then I'll turn it over to you to pray. So, our Father. Lord, we're just so great that you are our Father. Lord, we are sons and daughters. We're, what a privilege to call you our, our dad. And Lord, I know that there are some in this room that struggle with the idea of fatherhood. Maybe they had an absent father, or an abusive father. If that's you... Bring that to God right now and just say, God, I can't look at you like I'm supposed to because I had an abusive father. Just be real with God. He knows what you're saying anyway. What does it mean to have a father and that God is your father? So reflect on that. Pray back to God right now in your heart. The next two words, in heaven. So this is not necessarily uh, heaven like up in the clouds kind of thing. The idea here is that God is everywhere. What does it mean to you that God is everywhere in all things, in every aspect of your life? Lord, I'm thank you, I thank you that you are, you're not some distant God who doesn't care about me. I know that you see everything from your throne. I know that you care about everything that I do. Thank you that you've created a place for us for eternity in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Holy, good, awesome. That's what that word means. Amazing. This is where we praise God. What are you grateful for most about God? And be specific. God, I'm grateful that you're faithful. I'm grateful that you are consistent and that you provide. I'm grateful that you've forgiven me. Tell God specifically, what are you, what are you grateful for? What, what about him? What about his name? Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is where we get out of our way and seek God's will. So pray that His will is done in your life. Pray that His will is done in your children, in your family, in this city of Oceanside, in this church. Pray that God's will is done. If there's things that you desire and you're not sure if it's God's will, ask Him. Lord, I, I want to move to this place and start this job. Is that something that you feel like I, I should be doing, Lord? Ask for clarification.
give us this day our daily bread. So this is where it's about our needs. What do we need from God today? We need sustenance. sustenance. We need food. We need shelter. We need money. We need love. We need everything. And it's all from Him. So ask, Lord, please give me what I need. And here's what I need. But here's another aspect of this. Ask God of what you want. God cares about what you want. He cares about your desires. And here's a place where you can also pray for the needs of others. If there's somebody on your prayer list that's sick, somebody on your prayer list that you would want to see to come to faith in Jesus, anything that's on your, your list for others, this is where that category is. You're praying not only for your daily bread, but for the people around you. What are, what are the needs of the people on your list? And that, this could be an expansive place to do all kinds of that kind of thing. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So all of this is leading up to being in a place of humility. Right? We're acknowledging who God is as our Father. And He's hallowed and holy and perfect and awesome and how He's provided and met every need. And at that point, we can say, forgive me, Lord. And again, be specific. Lord, forgive me for this. Forgive me for yelling at this person. Forgive me for whatever. Fill in the blank. But don't forget the second half of that statement, that we are to forgive others as well. Who are you harboring unforgiveness or bitterness against? And just give yourself permission to forgive because it's not for them, it's for you. And then lastly, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray against specific temptations that you experience. What are you always tempted to walk in? What sin is always crouching at the door ready to pounce on you? Pray against those things. Pray for protection against those things. Pray against bad and evil things in your home, at work, at school, in every aspect of your life. Protection. And at this point, you could go any number of directions. You could stop praying and say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm done. That's all I've got. But in this short time together, we've just prayed for 10 minutes. We've, we've done it. So if you've never prayed for 10 minutes in your life, you just prayed for 10 minutes. Right? So it can be done. And it, it doesn't have to look pretty. Right? Those elegant words that come out of your mouth, like, I wish I could pray like that person. They've got it all polished and perfect. It means nothing. Mike said it earlier, it's about the heart. When we worship God with our words, it's about the heart, not our, not our words. When we pray to God with who we are created to be, it's not about the words as they are structured and put together. It's about the heart of knowing who we are in that prayer. And so be generous in all that it takes to build and cultivate a life of prayer. And this is a, an ongoing, lifelong process. There will be times and seasons in your life where you're just like dry, like I just, 
I don't want to pray. I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I haven't prayed for the last week. You will have seasons like that because it's spiritual warfare and all the other things that we talked about. But we keep putting one foot in front of the other, reminding ourselves of how significant prayer is in the life of a believer and in what God has called us to do in partnering with Him in His will. Amen? Well, let's pray to close. Father, we, we do thank You that we have a, a greater understanding of prayer and the things that You have designed for us. What a privilege to come to the God of the universe who's at work all around us, who's in total control of all things, and yet, Lord, you have decided to include us in the process. So I pray, Lord, that everyone here that is a Christian, that has put their faith in you, takes you up on that offer to be a part of this amazing journey. God, that we would really begin to recognize our need for you and our dependence upon you, but also that, that what we're praying is, is significant and meaningful and important and that you desire to have these kinds of moments with us day by day. And Lord, we know that when we come into a room with a friend, it's, it's so easy to just to carry on a conversation for hours. But if we're sitting next to a stranger across the table at dinner, it's work, it's awkward, it's difficult. So Lord, if we're in that awkward, difficult phase where we feel like we're a bit of a stranger with you, God, would you just help us to press in and know that we're going to develop a relationship. We're going to develop this familiarity and comfortableness where we can truly come to you as our Father and ask and plead and cooperate with you. But Lord, help us to take that first step in growing our prayer life. Every one of us has the space to grow in that today. And I pray that we would do it today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.